Good morning, Citizens LA. It's great to be with you guys. And in particular, I'm eager to offer some help for Jason. As talented as he is, it's been an incredibly difficult season of ministry. And so um, I'm really happy to help in some small way. And I know it's not just Jason, it's all of us, right? This, these past 12 months have been so difficult with the pandemic, isolation, the economy, the massive loss of life, over half a million in the United States. Add to that race and politics, anxieties, uncertainties, whatever other personal and relational challenges that we may have, and it's, it's pretty overwhelming. In some ways, it reminds us of what the Bible says has always been true, which is that we live in a broken and fallen world. There's a lot of pain. And in particular, following Jesus is hard. It's Living the Christian life is not an easy thing. It is to walk the way of the cross. I understand uh, last fall you guys studied the book of James. And that's challenging, right? It calls us to live out our faith in demonstrable and challenging ways. So in light of all these hardships, in light of the, the challenges of what it is to live out our faith, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And how does the gospel shape that meaning of following Jesus, being a follower of Jesus? Well, I want to look at three pretty challenging passages and then make three statements from each of those passages. And, and then we're going to build from there. Our first passage is Luke 9, 61 and 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So we have this enthusiastic follower saying, I will follow you, Jesus. I mean, that's a good thing. We like that, right? And you need to keep in mind that uh, in this time, Jesus was physically, literally moving, traveling from town to town. And so if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to leave your town and join this nomadic group as they went around Palestine. So that is to say I will follow you, but I want to say goodbye to my family. That was totally reasonable. That makes a lot of sense. That's a good thing to do. But Jesus' response was rather puzzling. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back for is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's like, bam, whoa, like smack. Kind of harsh. The imagery Jesus evokes is is well understood, especially in an agrarian society. If you're plowing a field, you got to look straight ahead so you could plow a straight line. I mean, if you're looking off behind you, you're going to be all crooked. And that would not make the best use of, of, the, of the soil that you have. And it seems that when Jesus was looking at this particular fellow, enthusiastic though he may sound, it seems that Jesus saw into the heart of the man a tendency to want to look back, to, to hold on to his hometown, to, to keep part of his former life. And for this guy, Jesus saw this is going to be a problem. 
he's not fully following Jesus. There's a part of him that's holding back. And I think for some of us, we're, we can be like this guy, that we don't want to completely let go of our old life. We kind of like some things that we enjoyed back there. We want to keep it with us. There's a lot of fun and doing, you know, all this Jesus stuff. I mean, that's good and well, but, but we don't want it to take away, you know, all the fun things that we used to do. Also, it's, Jesus can kind of maybe dampen the party, kind of dampen the fun. Following Jesus can be a, a sacrifice of things that we once enjoyed. It's as if uh, we pictured a line. And uh, across that line the, are the things that Christians are not supposed to do. And, and we don't want to cross that line, for sure. But, but sometimes we want to get as close to the line as we're legally permitted, right? Uh, we want to flirt on the edge because we kind of like things on the other side. Or maybe it's kind of like Jesus' medicine. And we want the medicine. We need the medicine. We like the benefits of the medicine. But we don't always like the medicine itself, meaning we want just enough of Jesus, but not too much. So why does Jesus demand that we not look back? I don't think he's trying to be mean. I don't think he's trying to be a joy killer. I think he's pointing to something deeper. My first statement is this. A follower of Jesus believes what is ahead is better than what is behind. We don't look back because we are eager to move forward. The best days are yet ahead of us. More than fame or fortune or comfort or pleasure, we have joy and freedom and, and purpose in Jesus. We found life with Jesus as a as something wonderful. Too much of Jesus can never be a bad thing. So, let me ask, do you see Jesus as keeping you from the things you once enjoyed? Or do you see Jesus as pointing you to something better? Do you see him as taking joy out or putting joy in? Do you want you know, just enough of Jesus, or is he like too much could never be a bad thing. Our second passage is from Luke 14, 26 and 27, which says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. These are difficult words. Now, uh, commentators are, I think, quick to point out, I don't think Jesus wants us to literally hate our family and hate our lives. Jesus honored his family. Uh, at, on the cross, he honored his mother and made sure that she'd be taken care of. Hating here is an idiom. It's an expression saying that we love something so much more than anything else. To, to love Jesus and hate everything else means that everything else is a far distant 
second. There's no comparison. There's no competition. Jesus is our greatest love. This is what we are most devoted to. But I don't want to explain away the punch of the expression. Jesus is demanding utmost devotion. And then bear your cross. That's kind of a, a, an expression we use today, right? We have to bear the cross of our difficult circumstances. But in Jesus' day, bearing your cross was a literal carrying a cross. You see, criminals would carry their cross from their cells to the execution site. The day you carry your cross is the day you're going to be executed. In other words, Jesus was calling his followers to be ready to die, to be ready to suffer, to give up their lives. It's an invitation to martyrdom. Jesus was demanding complete, utter, uncontested loyalty and devotion. And he's saying, that's the cost you have to pay to follow me. Now, I want to take a step back and consider what Jesus sounds like. I mean, what if I said to you, hey, unless you're willing to love me more than your wife and your kids and your parents and your brothers and your sisters, even your own life, uh, unless you're willing to die, die for me, forget it. I don't want you, you know, go find somebody else. Like, what would you think of me? What if, what if Pastor Jason said that? Like, what would you think of someone who said such things? Either, either such a person is an exploitive, demanding, sadistic, cruel maniac, like a crazy cult leader. This, this person is a narcissistic maniac. You want to stay away from people like that. Or, or Jesus is so worth it. He is so great. He is so wonderful that even if we were to lose everything we had, it would still be great gain because he's worth it. He's so much more. See, Jesus is saying following him will cost us everything we have. But here's my second statement. A follower of Jesus believes he's worth everything we have. He's worth it. The cost is there, but the eyes of faith recognize the greater gain. Yes, there's cost, but there's something more. There's greater gain. It's like the pearl of great price or the treasure hidden in the field. We'll give up whatever else we had to gain these treasures. It is like the fairy tale dream come true bride or groom that we've been waiting for for all these years. Or it's like that long-awaited, healthy, precious little baby. Something inside of you says, you're so worth it. Everything I've ever been through, you're so worth it. I, what I wouldn't do for you, I would give everything for you. How precious, how precious you are. 
do you see a demanding crazy narcissistic maniac who is difficult to please that will lead you to a life of loss or do you see a Jesus who is so precious so wonderful so good that he is worth literally everything we have to lose what do you see what do you believe our third passage is from Matthew 7 13 and 14 which says enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few Jesus is saying, well, there's a, a narrow gate, a narrow road, and it's a hard road. It's difficult. It's a, the way is hard that leads to life. There's, on the other hand, this wide, comfortable, easy to find, popular <laughs> road. That's the other road. This road is the hard road. And indeed, following Jesus is a narrow road. It's hard. There are costs to following Jesus, as we've said. Uh, living out the Christian life is easily the most challenging, self-denying, difficult thing I've ever tried to do. If you were looking for an easy religion, I would not recommend Christianity. There's a lot of other things that are a lot easier. And even today, Christians suffer for their faith. I mean, throughout the pages of church history and even today, suffering, dying for Jesus is a reality. I think there are two ways we might consider this narrow road. One is to say, it's narrow, it's hard, it's difficult. There's a lot of suffering, sacrifice, pain on this narrow road. The other attitude perspective is this is the road to glory this is the road to life and we were on it yes there are hardships yeah it's not easy but we are on the way to life eternal to glory to the party of all parties we have found the road to life is there sadness or is there joy I have four boys and uh, when they were much younger, uh, we took them to Disneyland and you know, it was kind of a long car ride through morning LA traffic for us to get to Anaheim. And um, a lot of times things were moving pretty slowly, sometimes just crawling bumper to bumper. And the kids could have had two responses, right? They could have said, when are we going to be there? Why aren't we moving? I'm not feeling well. Why is it taking so long? I don't like this car ride. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Wine, wine, wine. Or they could have said, we are on our way to Disneyland. <laughs> We're going to Disneyland. 
We're going to ride the rides and the boats. We're going to see the shows and the parades. We are going to the happiest place on earth. Oh my goodness, I can't wait. We are going to Disneyland. Statement three. Followers of Jesus travel the narrow road with joy and anticipation. Followers of Jesus, you see, they don't just see the road. They see the destination and it gives them joy. That's what we see throughout Scripture. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8.18 says, Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. There are present sufferings, real sufferings. The life of Paul is full of suffering. And yet, he says, this is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. Peter says that we have an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, waiting for us. And we're to rejoice in this inheritance, even though we have various trials today. Yes, they're suffering. Yes, there are trials, but we look forward to our inheritance, our future glory. Now, I don't want to gloss over this. There are sufferings and trials and hardships. We don't pretend. We don't deny. We don't just gloss over these things with little spiritual platitudes. No, life can be very, very painful. And yet there's something greater than our pain. There's something bigger and something better. How do you view the Christian life? As hard as it is, do we only see the narrowness and the difficulties, a life of suffering and a life of hardships, or do we celebrate a glorious future a, a, a rich inheritance, a true, perfect, eternal home. Which song do you sing? What do you believe? What do you believe? Suppose you have a four-cylinder, 2.0-liter, 132-horsepower, 2011 Ford Focus. Yeah, and uh, you like your car. You know, you've, you've bonded. You've traveled many miles, and it's a good car. Good enough. Takes you to where you need to go. Maybe you're thinking, if I could upgrade the car stereo, that'd be nice. But other than that, you're, you're pretty content. And suppose one day your dad says to you, I want to take your car. Give me your car keys. And you think, what, what, what are you... Why are you trying to take my car? I like, I like my car. I need my car. I want my car. Don't take my car. And your dad says, now give me your car keys because I have a brand new 0 to 60 in under 2 seconds, $150,000 Tesla Model S plaid with 21-inch wheels and full self-driving capabilities. I have a Tesla Model S for you, so just give me your Ford Focus. You see, do you see a God who's trying to take away? Or do you see a God who's trying to give you something better? Do you feel loss? Or do you feel gain? 
when you look at him, when you consider God, what do you see? What do you feel? What do you think he feels about you? Christmas is a pretty big deal in our family uh, because we have four boys and because we do a pretty big gift thing. And uh, we've got different aunts and uncles, the boys do, uh, grandparents who all give them gifts. But the, uh, the way it works is um, they pretty much just send money to my wife who then does all the shopping for weeks uh, to get them what they want. And it works out really well because she, my wife, knows exactly what they're into what they're like, what they've been thinking of, what they've been hoping for. He knows, she knows exactly. And so she, she goes spending the shopping spree for weeks thinking about, oh my goodness, Elijah's going to love this. This is perfect for Caleb. Oh my goodness, Noah is going to explode when he says, Nathan is going to, I can't wait to see his face. And she's, she's so full of anticipation. She's excited. And so on Christmas morning when the kids are opening all their gifts, the kids are so happy they are so happy so excited but i don't know if they recognize just how much joy mom and dad have in seeing their delight i don't know if they know how much joy especially my wife has in having thought about and prepared these gifts for her kids just do you see such a heart in your heavenly father that he delights to give you good things he's so excited can't wait oh my goodness to give you good things do you believe this is a god who's trying to take away or a god who's trying to give bless reward is this how we're supposed to see god is this how we're supposed to view him hebrews eleven six says this and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him how, how do we please God? Well, you have to believe He exists. And it says you have to believe that He gives, that He rewards, that He blesses. You have to believe that our God is a giving God. He's a gracious God, generous, benevolent, loving. That is what He does. That is His nature. That's who He is. And if you don't see him that way, Hebrews 11 is saying, you cannot please him. To please him, to honor him, is to see him as kind and generous and loving as he claims to be. To see that it's true. To believe that this is a God who loves to bless and give and reward. And how do we know he's good? How do we know that? Exhibit A, the greatest picture is the cross. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ 
die for us when he had no reason to give us anything, that he gave us everything. That the Christian story is a story of how God gives, God loves, God forgives, God adopts us into his family, God gives us an inheritance and gives us future glory. He gives and gives. If you're exploring Christianity, I just want to make it clear that the Christian life is not about you have to do this and don't do that. And It's a story about a gracious, good, and loving God who wants to give and forgive and love and adopt and bless those who would turn to Him. If you are a Christian, we say we don't just start in the gospel, but we live in the gospel. Because this isn't just how we became a Christian. This is how we live the Christian life. Believing that He continues to give and give and give. That the Christian life is one of continually receiving what our good, loving Heavenly Father gives to us, that He is our provider, He is our shepherd, He is our Savior, He is our Father. I want to flesh this out just a little bit more. What does this fundamental faith, believing that He's good, what does that do for us in the Christian life? Because I'm going to suggest you cannot live the Christian life without that fundamental belief that He's good. What it, it enables four things. Number one, it enables sacrifice. It enables sacrifice. Meaning, if we believe that we can never outgive God and that He's only trying to direct us to something better, then that enables us to let go of what we might have, right? It enables us to let go of a forward focus. If you believe that your Heavenly Father is trying to give you a Tesla, it empowers, it frees you to sacrifice, believing you can never outgive our God, that this life is a life of gain, not loss. Second, it enables humility. God is not looking for heroes. There is no boasting in giving up French fries for sushi, for giving up Ford focuses for Teslas. There's no virtue in that, right? That's just there, that's just common sense. See, if you're not a Christian, I just want to say, I don't think that Christians are necessarily more noble or altruistic or sacrificial. It's just what they believe. They believe, we believe, we have found something better. And there is no boasting for any of us to pursue what we believe is better. Third, desire. Such faith increases our desire because we always run after what we believe is good. If you think golf will give you happiness, you will pursue golf. If you think marriage will give you happiness, you will pursue marriage. If you think kids or a good career, a nice house, whatever it is, we all pursue that which we believe is good and will give us joy. So the question is, well, what do you believe gives you joy? Do you believe Jesus 
is the greatest joy to be found. Because if you do, right, that's the faith that fuels desire for more and more and more of Him. We will all pursue what we believe is good. And finally, it produces love and gratitude, worship. Because now we live in a story where we, He always gives and we always receive. We can never outgive God. And so our hearts are filled with thankfulness. Thankfulness. And we recognize everywhere, every day, His goodness upon our lives. His grace, His kindness, His mercies, His faithfulness. We live in a world where He is good and He gives and we receive. And so we rejoice and we worship and we give thanks. Well, it's been an extraordinarily difficult past year. Struggles, anxiety, uncertainties, losses. And I don't want to gloss over the pain. There is a place to lament, to grieve, to feel and bring our sorrows before God. And for some of us, I suspect this might feel a little trite, right? God is good, because sometimes life doesn't seem like God is good. It certainly doesn't always feel like He is good to me, right? That we feel it at a personal level. And I think actually there's a place to struggle with doubts, to struggle with hard questions. We see that in the Psalms, that we can bring our struggles before God. But this is a defining issue. Do we believe that God is good? Because ever since the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, the battle is to believe that God is good and that He is not withholding good things from us. No, the, the, the gospel of the story is He has suffered so that He might give good things to us. The cross demonstrates and the Holy Spirit reveals that He He loves us. He gives to us. And that faith enables us to move forward. Even in troubled times. Through the struggles that we have. So I want to ask you. Is Jesus someone you have to guard yourself from? Or is Jesus someone who is fighting for you? Is he someone who's trying to take joy out? Or is he trying to give you something better, give you more joy? Is Jesus a crazy narcissistic maniac that you need to stay away from? Just, just, just enough to get what you need? Or is he so good that he is worth everything you have? You could never possibly have too much of him. Is the story you have that is a story about what you need to do for Jesus and how much you need to sacrifice, or is a story about what he has done, is doing, and will do for you? See, the question is do you believe that he's good? I'm not asking anyone to do anything noble or sacrificial or altruistic. I'm I'm gonna encourage you to pursue that which you believe is good. But that's the question is, do you believe that? 
A what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? A follower of Jesus believes, believes that Jesus is good. He's beautiful, he's gracious, he's kind, he's loving. And if that's what you believe, if that's what you believe, then I want to encourage you to live like you believe that's true. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we acknowledge there have been a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties, a lot of struggles and pain these last 12 months. And yet, Lord, and yet, Lord, we want to recognize your goodness, your love, your patience, your faithfulness to us. I pray even as we try to live out our faith as James calls us to, Lord, that it wouldn't be duty and just obligation, but Lord, it is an expression of the belief that you are good and you have been good to us. And so now we want to follow you. We follow you believing that what is ahead is better than what is behind. We follow you with joy for we are your followers. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.